Yes, guys, back again on the Perth Tactic Podcast. On, you know, Friday, we did content regarding the Porto-Chelsea game. Regarding what happened today, we have a Porto-Chelsea second leg match preview with a Portuguese football expert. I'll start with you, Aaron. How are you doing today and how are you looking forward to the game on uh, on Tuesday? I'm easy, OK, yeah. Uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. It was, uh, it was, it was a tough first leg, but... Uh, the the Porto players and the supporters are really up for this second leg. They still mm. they still think there's a chance. So yeah, I'm honestly I really am looking forward to it. Cool, me too. That's really interesting to hear. You know, two away goals. I know away goals are not really away goals, but Porto fans seem really confident from my perspective. But yeah, I'll go straight on to Arvin. Arvin, how are you doing today? And are you feeling a little bit better after the Wednesday game? I know you were gutted after that <laughs> and on the review. How are you feeling today, mate? Yeah, no, not too bad again. Obviously, uh, passionate about football. Love talking about. It. Um, still a bit gutted about Wednesday, especially the fact that we drew to Union Berlin yesterday with Ooh. a depleted team. But um, yeah, you know, Porto buying huge mountains to climb, but you know, we can both do it. It's, it's football, anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. Obviously, we're doing a a little bit of on the end of the on the end of the podcast, we're doing a preview on uh, the Bayern versus PSG second leg game. A little bit about the predicted lineup and a little bit about the you know what happened what went wrong in the first leg but yeah let's get straight into the first topic of the podcast Aaron I'll start with you I want to start by talking a little bit about your opinions on that first leg as a Portuguese football expert you know a lot about Porto how they like to play obviously I'm sure you were maybe expecting you know a nil nil maybe a one nil here there but two nil Chelsea was so dominant after you know the the 28th minute they were just dominant the whole game uh, so how do you think your the first leg went uh, Aaron um I don't think Chelsea were dominant to be honest I thought Porto I mean it's one of those I think at the top level you, you punish for your mistakes and 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 Porto were the the first goal the the Mason Mount goal is defensively just Terrible from Zaidu. He's he's looking at. I think it's Jorginho who plays the pass. He's not looking at where Mount is. He gives him too much space, and then he sort of tries to dive in. It's too late, but avo- like really avoidable. And then the second goal again, um, just Corona with the with a with a poor touch. Someone that's so famed for a, for a great touch. But to be honest, like when they going into half time, Porto were, were playing well. I mean, statistically, obviously Chelsea had a lot of the ball, but I think. Going into, I think it was the, the the end of the first half, they had like seven or eight corners to Chelsea's one. They had yeah, like eight did, shots. Yeah. I think mm. Chelsea had one shot in the first half. Like mm. it was, they 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 were playing well. They executed the game plan well in terms of soaking up the pressure. And they, as I say, the that first half, they didn't look too threatened. And then it's just mistakes at that top level, and it's also not taking your chances because for for all the the shots and stuff that that Porto did have, and for the the set pieces that they had, they didn't make Chelsea work enough. I don't think, and then that comes down to obviously the two top scorers weren't playing in in Teremi and Sergio Oliveira, so difficult for Conceição's men, but. It was one of those at the end of the game. You came away from it. You were disappointed, of course, because of the the two mistakes and how avoidable you were. But then I saw like Porto did their official like Twitter. They put out a tweet and they said basically, you know, we couldn't have asked for anything more. And and mistakes are frustrating. But in terms of the team performance, I thought Porto played very well. Uh, I thought they did. You know the, the the basics, right? But as I say, the top level against the side like Chelsea, if you make two mistakes, chances are it's going to be two goals, and 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 that's what we saw. I think throughout yeah, Port- the entire game, I yeah, think yeah, I definitely had... agree. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you know, I think it, in the end, it was Chelsea might have had three shots on target and and scored twice, and and Porto probably had similar numbers, three or four shots on target, but didn't come anywhere near close to scoring. So, as I say, it's it's that ruthlessness for, at the top level. And in the Champions League, you can't afford to make those kind of mistakes because you will get punished. Yeah, Porto were actually really good, I felt, in the opening 28 minutes before. They put in Jorginho and Kovacic under a lot of pressure before that goal. The wing-backs were quite high. Zaidu actually had a really good opening. But as soon as Mason Mann got that goal on the half-turn, I feel like it kind of depleted the defence a little bit with Mbemba, Pepe and, and Zaidu. But yeah, it was it was a good performance by Chelsea. You can't take anything away from them. But Porto, I, we'll get into a bit how they will line up in the in, in the second leg. But yeah, let's go straight on to the next topic on this podcast. I want to go straight on to the predicted lineups. Aaron, I'll go to you again. Like, let's kind of talk about the lines. Obviously, um, two huge players coming back in for Porto. We'll kind of get into that in a second. 
How do you think that Porto are going to line up in this game? Are you going to are you thinking you know it's going to be a four four two as we've seen a lot from Porto, or do you think they'll go a bit more attacking? You know, more attackers on the pitch, maybe put another Cam on there or something like that. Gruich, another midfielder who could start as well alongside the other two. How do you think Porto are going to kind of line up? To be honest, I don't think they'll they'll make any radical changes because they they'll still feel like with the amount of chances that they create with the play, they don't need to. At the end of the day, in the last leg, they weren't overly defensive. They still had the likes of Luis Diaz, Otavio, Corona, Uribe, like players that can that can get on the end of something, players that can create something. So I think it'll be a similar team, but as I say, they were without the two goal scorers. Sergio Oliveira is the top scorer for Porto and, and Medi Teremi is, is the second top scorer and they were both missing for the game. So they were heavily sort of uh, you know, the heavily handicapped coming into that game without those, uh, with those, the, the, especially going forward. Uh, and Oliveira is so important, not only for the just the flow of the game from central midfield, but also set pieces. So the free kicks and the cup, which which Porto will rely on. And as we saw, they had so many corner kicks, so many, um, sort of winning a lot of fouls. The likes of Corona and, and Luis Diaz winning fouls in good areas, but. Not having Giuseppe's uh, specialist on the pitch is, uh, you know, so it's a bit of a depleted side. But I think those two will go straight back in. I think you're looking at the team the other day, it'll be pretty much, I think, pretty much the same team. Gruwitz will probably come out. I thought Gruwitz played well as well. I thought he, he he put a good shift in for someone who doesn't play a lot of football for, for Porto, especially recently. So he sort of gets his, his, his play in and out. And then yesterday, Porto played against uh, Tondela in the league. Both of Sergio Oliveira and Medi Teremi were rested. They they were on the bench. They came on. Uh, Teremi actually came on and scored. So they'll be nice and fresh. They didn't play the 90 yesterday purposely. Uh, Porto still managed to get the job done. So you've got those two players who will come in. And then the rest of the team, I think, sort of, you know, pretty much picks itself. I think it'll be Sergio Oliveira and Mateo Saribe, central midfield. Uh, I think Otavio and Corona. Will play as well up front. You're probably looking at um, either Marega and Medi Teremi or possibly Luis Diaz if he decides to play four five one. And then the back four, I can't see it changing. I think Zaidu had a had a strange afternoon because I thought at times he, he he dealt well, especially with with Reece James, sort of that attacking intent, him amount on that side, uh, especially the way Chelsea set up um, the wing backs sort of like to get high and wide. But then, as I say, made the mistake. But I don't think he he will. Um, and and it, to to my knowledge, I don't think they've got any fresh suspensions. I might be wrong, but I don't think they have. Uh, and then, as I say, they they sent an half pairing in Bember and Pip, and then uh, probably Wilson Manafar. So I know I've done the team backwards there. I started at the front <laughs> and went the other way. But um, to be honest, I think the, the teams are quite like for the last. I was on a podcast doing the last prediction and got the team spot on. And I was like, that that wasn't down to me sort of knowing the team inside and out. It's just a pretty pretty straightforward team to pick, to be honest. Um, I say this, but, you know, could completely change it. But um, I think I think yesterday we saw quite quite a lot, uh, like a bit of an insight into the So the likes of Gruwich started yesterday, which sort of hints that Oliveira was was benched to then, you know, come in as, a, as fresh legs and centre mid. And then also... Marega and Teremi didn't start either. They started Evan Nilsson and, and Tony Martinez. Don't think he'll possibly start with either of those. Otavio and Corona started, but that's possibly due to just limited options there. And then um, at the back, Mbemba was, uh, was 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 rested as well. He, he didn't even come on. They played Diogo late there as well. But I can't see that being shaken up either because he... he Mbemba didn't really put a foot wrong, to be honest, and Diogo Leite is a strong up-and-coming young central defender, really talented, but he'll probably still go with Mbemba and Pep for that experience, I think. I like how you kind of did the team backwards to forwards, uh, Aaron. That's actually quite a smart idea, quite original. <laughs> but yeah, you got that lineup exactly wrong, uh, exactly right before, sorry, for the for the Porto game uh, against Chelsea during the week. Amazing how you, I know it's uh, quite a, a small selection of players to kind of pick from, but you still got the line completely right. And yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about a few players in this team before we kind of move on to the to the next topic. I want to start with Sergio Oliveira in the midfield. I'm not someone who knows a lot about Oliveira. I know there's a lot of praise about him. Obviously, Porto's top goal scorer from a, from a box-to-box midfield role says enough for itself. You've mentioned that he's kind of um, 
the set piece specialist, the set piece maestro in the team. And he seems to me as quite a dynamic box box midfielder and also kind of pulls the strings very different to Marco Gruitz. So how good do you think he's going to be in this game? Do you think it's very set up for him or do you think that you know, Jorginho and Kovacic could have a field day? Yeah, I think he he's he's so influential for for Porto, and it's it's been a long time coming. He's been at the club for years, and and this is sort of it's only really now that he's well, the sort of the last couple of seasons. And he's twenty eight. He's not, you know, he's he's not exactly a kid coming out of the academy. He is someone that he's got his chance now, and and he is shining. And he he was undoubtedly a massive miss. Grubic did play well, uh, and, and Mateo Zariba, you know what he, he'll give, but. Oliveira, I think he is he, just his 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 experience, his his passing. Uh, he, he defensively and offensively, you know, he very rarely puts a foot wrong. As I say, I've mentioned he's um, very good at, at, at set pieces. You know, he's he, a very important player. You know, solely on that on that aspect, it's, it's a massive part, uh, especially when you're a team who, who I think Porto probably ended with with thirty percent, thirty thirty five percent possession. So set pieces are a key, uh, are a key component. Whether you think it's you know attractive or not, but if you're playing on the counter attack, then and you're not having a lot of the ball when you've got the ball, you better make sure that you either find that right pass, you get a shot off and goal. Or you win a free kick because that's especially when you when you play on the counter and you try and move at pace, uh, teams will try and come out and obviously Chelsea will try and uh, try as, as fast as they can to stop the counter attack before it takes place. So usually you see a lot of uh, fouls in and around the halfway line or just after. And um, yeah, setting up play, putting in balls from that position, uh, and say you don't want to you want to be clever with with sort of the you know drawing fouls and stuff. And you know he's important for that, but yeah, I just think they missed his his presence. I think they missed his presence, and as I say, especially recently, and this isn't a player that sort of had it all its own ways. Always had to work for it. He's been continually loaned out since he started at Porto. He was then into the senior team, then he got the motor back to the B team, and he was loaned out to various clubs in Portugal, like of Penafiel, Passos de Ferreira, and then he was then loaned out to to Nantes in. In uh, in Ligon, and that's where he met up with with Conceição. And you thought when he took over at Porto, then yeah, he was going to get his chance. But he was loaned out again, went to to Greece, and and now I think he came back. It was in the June or the July of twenty nineteen. Since then, he sort of established himself as as one of the key players in the Porto team. And with each you know with each game, with each week, his importance grows. So missing him. Especially the performance he put in against Juventus, he was the talisman. He was the goal scorer. He was, you know, the match winner. That free kick was him. We saw two set pieces, a penalty and a free kick, both taken by him, both dispatched. So, yeah, he did. He did miss him. Um, so, looking forward to seeing him back in the team. As I say, he came in yesterday. He didn't need to go berserk. He just came in, kept things calm, saw the game out. You know, passed it well. And uh, and yeah, he'll be he'll be ready, he'll be recharged, and he'll be he'll be looking forward to this. This will be the type of stage, as I say, twenty eight years of age. This is the type of stage he wants to be on. He wants to be in the Champions League. He wants to be playing. So to miss the first leg, he'll have been gutted more more than anyone, I think. It's definitely his time to prove now. You know, uh, he's done it against uh, Pirlo's Juventus. He scored that free kick. You mentioned Aaron. It was a great free kick under the wall, and his penalty was really crucial in getting that you know early momentum in the game. But yeah, yeah, he's going to be a really crucial player. Jorginho and Kovacic, whoever starts Kante, uh, even if Mount's playing there in the in the double six, I believe it will be Kante and uh, and Jorginho starting that game. But yeah, it's going to be a really crucial test that these midfielders are on the A game stopping obviously Oliveira from getting into the game. We could talk a little bit about uh, Uribe. Obviously, you've mentioned him. Uh, Aaron, he's a very good player in that game. I wouldn't say he was amazing in that game. i say Gruich kind of had a better game in the midfield. But I want to talk about another player coming back from suspension. Uh, obviously, he missed uh, the first leg. Medi Taremi, uh, he, he seems to be quite a good striker. Obviously, the second goal, uh, second top goal scorer for Porto this season. And a lot of Portuguese fans, a lot of Portuguese experts are saying he was a huge miss in that leg. Luis Diaz was, i say he was good he was okay, but he didn't really provide that attacking goal threat that you need. Moraga's obviously more of a hold-up player. He couldn't score that chance. One-on-one with Edouard Mendy. A little bit about Mehdi Taremi uh, from you, Aaron, in your opinion. Do you think he's going to cause issues for, for Rudiger or Zuma, or do you think that they should be able to kind of contain him? 
Yeah, I think he, he is. He was a big miss as well. Uh, as I say, the, the statistics and stuff speak for themselves. But in terms of in terms of players, as I say, you've you've got it spot on. Marega will like like to chase things and, and go long and bring others into play. Taremi is a is a goal scorer. You know, he he finds the back of the net. So coming back yesterday, that goal. Um, I mean, it was a bit of a not an insignificant match, but scoring against Tondela, it'll be you know nice nice to to lace up the boots again, come off the bench and, and score. So. That'll have meant um, a lot for him in terms of just his confidence coming back, and and we've saw this season that you know the the impact that he that he can have in the team when he when he starts. You know he joined in in the summer of of twenty twenty after seeing what he could do uh, in the Premier League beforehand. So no, he's a um, he's a, he's a he's a you know he's a top finisher. He is a top finisher. He's a Really good striker. I think Porto fans have been happy with them in terms of their attacking options. They've had well, they've got Tony Martinez, uh, Musa Marega, Evan Ilson. If you can sort of class him more of a wide man, the likes of Luis Diaz, and then uh, Medi Taremi. But I think Taremi is the one that you can count on for you know if you're one on one with the goalkeeper. Who do you want the chance? It's Taremi. If he gets a chance, he will he will make the keeper work. He will you know he. he, he as I say before, when you're playing sort of at that top level, you need players who can take chances, and and he does. He takes chances. He he turns up. He does turn up in in the in the big game. So he scored a a goal against. He scored twice against Braga this season. Got an assist against Benfica, if I remember right. Scored against Juventus in the in the um was the first leg the the two one. So yeah, looking forward to to seeing him in the side. Honestly. Um, yeah, it's just I think that first leg, especially with the suspensions and stuff being out with those two players that I've spoken about there, you um you no, know, you did see the, 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 the they were sort of like the missing links and say for, for all of Porto's attacks. If Teremi's on the pitch, you think you know, is it is it a bit of a different story then, you know, but it's one of those should have would have could it was just ridiculous suspension as well, the second yellow card that he received. So uh sorry, the, the yellow card that accumulated, it was just kicking the ball away it was just nonsensical so that was even more frustrating the fact that they could have had you know a player like him at their disposal but it's in the past now it's gone and and uh, you've just sort of got to get on with it and as I say the, the Porto fans they'll be really looking forward to this I posted a, a video earlier on Prossima Jornada of the, the fans in the training ground uh, all the ultras uh, nice <laughs> while, the, while the training while the players are training the players came over and clapped at the end and and uh, not a lot of uh, not a, not a lot of social distancing going on. I can't lie, but um, <laughs> that's a topic for another day. But um, yeah, so as I say, they they they, uh, they they've they've been at the stage before. They've they've you know they they put in a performance. They are proud of. A couple of years prior, the games against Liverpool and stuff, especially like the Drubbins, the the sort of felt that they let themselves down on that stage and and I thought that game against Chelsea and I, I'm inclined to agree I don't think they let themselves down at all I just think at, at that top level I keep saying mistakes happen some sides will punish you some sides won't Mason Mount was terrific for that goal you know if it falls to someone else it falls to someone who's not high on confidence then may have been able to do better but he dispatched it terrifically and then the second goal as well Chilwell great composure looked like a Look like a, a marauding left winger, or even a, even a striker with that. But it, but again, it's it's capitalising on a loose touch and and getting in. But that's the difference, I think, at the top level. So if that chance falls to to um, to a Porto player, especially with Tenerife, yeah, it's 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 not it's not you know it, you can't see him. So to doing that and, and going past to keep it the way that he did and, and you know dispatching it so coolly. So as as I say, full credit to, to Chelsea. They turned up as well and they didn't have to sort of. It wasn't a real nail biting game. They they sort of you know did what they had to do. They scored two crucial goals, two good goals in that. They capitalised on mistakes, which is what you've got to do. They knew Porto were going to sit back and try and play on the counter. They knew they were going to have a lot of the ball, and um, but as I say, when you make mistakes you don't have to sort of play between the lines and find those find those passes and the closest thing Chelsea did to come to doing that was that 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 ball from Jorginho as I say to, to Mason Mount which was a great ball great turn great finish and as I say that's that quality that's that you know top class at that level Aaron we're definitely going to have you back on you know praise the Mason Mount so much without even asking you 
praising Chelsea. You know, <laughs> this is just absolutely amazing music to my ears. But the main points you mentioned on uh, Medi Taremi there were that he's a goal scorer. He will put the ball in the back of the net. We saw some chances that fell to Gruwich and Marega at the at the Ramon Sanchez at Pichuan Stadium that they did not put away. If we let Taremi have them chances, he will probably put the chance away. And also, that he's a bit of a hothead I can kind of get from that. He did kick the ball away randomly. He will get into players' ears. He will create a bit of a havoc up front. But yeah, less than points on Taremi. Yeah, so very interesting you said that. I want to know from your opinion now, Aaron, one player that you can say that we haven't mentioned so far, a bit of a dark horse that you feel that will cause a lot of problems for Chelsea that maybe didn't in the in the first leg. You know, one player you think that will really alter this game that's not... Oliveira or Taremi? Um, I think the, the obvious one that, that people will go to is, is Corona. And we know that. We know he's an established player. We know yeah, he, yeah. he'll be he'll be keen to atone for that head in the first leg. And and um but I'm not gonna go with him because that's sort of the obvious choice. I don't like going for the obvious choices. Um <laughs> to be honest, this is only slightly less obvious, but I think Atavio, if Atavio can get get into that flow and get get going then he played yesterday against Tondela uh, which was you know I didn't think he'd play as much I think he played 84 or 85 minutes so practically the whole match so again don't know what Contessao's plans are going forward whether he'll be a bit more pragmatic and maybe starting from the bench but I'd expect him to start and he when he he's a player that when he gets going when he gets on the ball he can sort of make things happen he played well against uh, Chelsea, I think, like sort of statistically, I saw he was like the highest rated player. But you know, sometimes those those stats can be misleading. But he was the one who was playing sort of those incisive passes. He was the one that was trying to launch the counter attacks that comes deep, that moves with the ball. You know, he's he's a skillful player. He's you know he likes to play his man one on one. He can shoot. Technically, he's a very proficient player. So I'd like to see. Even more from him in 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 this uh, in this second leg, and I say yesterday he, he won man of the match. He was um, yeah, he was brilliant. He was brilliant again. I think it was like I saw saw the statistics breakdown. It was like four or five key passes, um, constantly on the ball. But just from watching the game, he was always trying to take his man on, uh, always trying to and and switching it up as well, going on the outside, but also coming on the inside and looking to looking to play crosses sometimes, looking to try, trying to cut in. So he's a versatile player and he's one of those when he gets going, he's dangerous and he's he's quite hard to keep tabs on because of how unpredictable he is. And then I'd say uh, it was someone that I spoke about in the last leg. I don't think he'll play much because he's still only a kid, but just keen to promote Francisco Conceição propaganda as much as I can, because I do feel like this is the type of player where we'll sort of come back to these podcasts and come back to these these files of me speaking about him in a couple of years, because he's a player who who um, he looks he looks he looks it he looks like he's got whatever it is he looks like he's got it. he's only eighteen he's he's Sergio's son he's the manager's son yeah uh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very diminutive, very small, great with the ball at his feet. Um, likes to open his body out and, and switch play because he plays on the right rather than always going down to the right hand side and, and obviously putting in a cross with his weak foot. He'll he'll open his body up, put the ball on his left, and either play, switch, switch the ball over onto the left hand side or or um you know try and try and uh, play across or, or or have a shot. So He's an exciting player. Whether he'll get much game time again with the caliber of the match that it is, I know he came on uh, for a couple of minutes in the in the in the last game, but yeah, really, really looking forward to seeing it more of him in the in the coming in the coming months uh, and years. So definitely keep an eye out for him. Might not sort of light up this particular fixture, but. Just uh, yeah, keep your eye on him. He's uh, he's one to watch, definitely. The scenes, Aaron. If if you know we come back to this podcast on you know Wednesday, and hopefully this doesn't happen. Touchwood, Francisco Contestao <laughs> scores a last minute winner against Chelsea. After coming off the bench, limbs. exactly. <laughs> absolute limbs that will be. But yeah, the main play you kind of said was Otavio. He looks like quite a free roam player, if I'm not mistaken. He likes to drift all over the place. You know, he's quite mm. fluid with switching between. On the right winger with Corona, they kind of interchange quite a lot. He could be yeah. dangerous, you know. Prime, uh, I believe Reese James will start again. He was rested against uh, Crystal Palace. He came off the bench and got an assist just to kind of rub salt in the wounds and the wounds for Porto fans. 
but he I think Rhys James will start and Otavio Rhys James does have kind of laps in his game where he does kind of lose concentration in defensive uh, situations sometimes but that could be a chance for Otavio to shine but the main players you said were Otavio and Francisco Contessao the manager's son the celebrations if he does not run up yeah. to his dad if he scores the winner I'm actually done you know he probably gave him a lift to the game but you know that's insane yeah. that's, that's great players <laughs> but yeah let's kind of uh, wrap this up I want to know this I'm quite intrigued as a Chelsea fan I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans want to hear this from you uh, Aaron a little bit about Porto obviously we know they're a counter-attacking team they like to soak up the pressure and use their their pace and their talent in the in the final third to kind of uh, destroy teams. That's what did the Juventus. They were quite when they were one man down. They were kind of out of the game, and then on the counter attacks, they were superb. They they got the win in the end. But what do you think is Porto's kind of tactical setup? Are you kind of saying they are a counter attacking team, or is there kind of more layers to this team that makes them actually a more formidable force than people think? Like, are they more the 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 creativity, the movements in the final thirds? The, the pivot kind of being box to box. How would you kind of say the tactical setup is without saying they're just a counter second team? Yeah, I think the thing is with, with Porto is what they are. They're a very versatile team. And the, the reason why they're able to, when you get to competitions like the Champions League, you see teams like Porto that might usually have 60, 65% possession in the league, then go into the tournaments and, and and they've now got 30% possession. So it's how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? So to simply brand them as just a counter-attacking team, that implies that that's how they play all the time. That's the philosophy. But that's obviously not the case because, as I say, you, you go to the Premier League, I think it was like the game against Passos de Ferreira recently. They had 60, 65% possession. And, and I think they only conceded two shots all, all game and they had like 16 or 17 shots. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I was looking at those sorts of figures before the first leg because it's that kind of supremacy that can sort of stick teams into this false sense of, of their own ability and their own capability because the levels are so 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 different in the Champions League. Obviously, when you're Chelsea, you're playing in the Premier League, then you go into the Champions League, you say, yeah, okay, at this stage, it's a step up because now you're playing against the best teams from around the world, not just in England. But then at the same time, week in, week out, Chelsea is still playing in the Premier League where they're coming up against the likes of City, you know, Liverpool, those type of teams who, who are really strong. Porto, the Premier League, I love the Premier League. It's my favourite league in the world to watch, to enjoy. It's the league I've always watched, hence why I do what I do. Interesting, but interesting. They, they, the levels just aren't the same financially. They're just not the same. It's completely two different, you know, two different entities. You've, you've got, I mean, the amount of money that is in the game, the amount of money that, that's in those, I wouldn't even say the top five leagues. I'd say the money, the money that's in England, definitely. And then, You've got Porto from Portugal, who obviously aren't in the top five leagues, in the sixth uh, league if you go by UA for coefficients. But again, that's another uh, that's another discussion for another day. But so it it's one of those. I'm going a little bit off tangent, but I just think in terms of playing their identity, they have to be comfortable with knowing that they're going to come up against teams who are better than them. They have to be comfortable in knowing they don't want to play on the counter-attack and have 30% of the ball because in between the Champions League games, they're playing against teams and having 60 and 65% of possession. So if anything, it's it's another feather in their cap. It's actually a testament to the fact that they can do that, that they can do both. They can have that sort of duality in terms of they can be so dominant and then they can go into the Champions League and be humble enough to say, right, we're not going to have a lot of the ball here, but when we do have the ball, we've got to make it count. So we will... You know, we will try and press when we can. Centre-backs, you've got to be switched on for 19 minutes. You make a mistake, you're going to be punished. You might not be punished the same way playing in the Premier League against, I don't know, say like a national. But it's the same way Chelsea. You can make a mistake, you know, playing against the team in the Premier League. You might not be punished as much as if you're playing against a team like Bayern Munich or, or PSG with their pace on the counter. So it's, 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 it is, it's, it's horses for courses. And, and I think they'll... Obviously, they go into this game. They know what they are. They know what they're capable of. The, the players there as well. The players will fully believe. By the way, they'll fully believe they can go through. That's not like them saying that or trying to appease and trying to look like they have got this sort of false. They'll fully believe they can win. And 
you saw yesterday after the Tondela game, something that Sergio Conceição and something that a lot of Portuguese teams have started doing is, is they'll do the initial, not team talk, uh, post-match team talk, but they'll, they'll um, they get themselves into a circle and they do, you know, they have the conversation on the pitch there in front of the cameras. They don't go straight down to the tunnel. They stay on the pitch when the opponents leave. And I was, the cameras... Uh, the match was on Sport TV yesterday, so the cameras were sort of circling as they do, and then um, you could catch a couple of words, but it was it was to do with like you know sort of belief, those those sorts of things that you hear come out of the mouth of of someone like Contessao, who is a pragmatist, who isn't, who doesn't want to play sometimes the most attractive football, and that aches a lot of Porto fans. He's infamously, well, famously, not been someone that puts that much faith in young players. Uh, the statistics, you know, will we'll say that there's, there's teams who, who play youth more, but at the same time, he's he's delivered them two league titles. So, you know, you can't have it all one way, I suppose. So, but no, I think they'll they'll approach the game in a very similar fashion. The only thing they need to do is they need to to obviously still remain really strong defensively because Chelsea get another goal, it's it's finished and. Chelsea will be looking at the prospect of this game to think we can do a number on Porto here more than more so than the first leg because they have to go for it now. Sort of at one nil, even at one nil with the one away goal for in the first leg. Even then, I was watching. I was confident. I was thinking Porto can score two against Chelsea with Oliveira and Taremi in the team in this next leg. But it was that second goal, and that second goal goes in. You go. So now you got to score three, uh, and. Um, or score two away goals, but not concede. So as soon as you concede, again, you give yourself a mountain to climb. I think, personally, it'll be a bridge too far, um, which you probably got to ask for me prediction at the end. But I do I do think it'll be a bridge too far, but they'll give it a good go. Um, the scoreline might reflect that as well. I think Porto have got to be careful not to counter at every single opportunity because if you do that you will get hit they've still got to time it they've got to be disciplined but they've got players in there the likes of Pip at the back the likes of Oliveira the likes you know of Corona players who know when to press when to stay when to sit when to go and, and that'll be you know massive and also no no mistakes you can't make any mistakes because you make a third mistake against a side like Chelsea chances are it'll be a third goal and uh, a third goal sort of pretty much kills the tie off if it isn't dead already so yeah yeah, that's really interesting. I'm sure you'll answer. agree, Aaron. Yeah, it's de- <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, I'm sure you'll agree that if Porto can kind of emulate the way they played in the first 28 minutes at the, the Pichuan Stadium, then it could be a really tough evening for Chelsea. I'm sure it could be. Porto definitely aren't a pushover team. A lot of people were happy to get Porto. I definitely wasn't in that boat. I saw the way they played against Juventus. I've seen a lot of their games this season. They are a good side under a good manager with good players in their team. But yeah, that's really interesting, Aaron. All I want from you now, we've kind of broken down this game from head to toe. Let's kind of get a prediction. Just two numbers, a prediction of what you think the game is. And if you say uh, 2-0 Chelsea, you'll come back on the podcast tomorrow and you're going to be a regular on the podcast. So it's your choice. Um... You know what? I think it's what I can't even give you the prediction because I do think it's one of those games where it can go either way. Because I'm actually more frightened of the fact that Porto actually do have to go. Because that's at 1 0. I think Porto coming into this game, you think, yeah, you you know, you've got 90 minutes, you don't have to go gung ho. Uh, but with the 2 0, and you know for a fact that you've got to you've got to get those two goals over 90 minutes. It's a tough one, man, because as I say, it can uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna predict it either. I'm not gonna jinx it because I've got a prediction in my head, but I'm not gonna go with it. Um but as I say, that's a that's a, a testament to uh, to to Chelsea as well, because I think if if Porto are going for it, Chelsea can punish them, especially on the break. We saw, you know, the 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 Chilwell goal when you've got that much space in behind, and, and you know, if a player makes a mistake. Then Chelsea will just be hoping, yeah, we want these to come out, come out and try and play toe to toe with us, try and, you know, hit us on the break, try and take the game to us, because that means the space in behind. The higher the higher up on the pitch you get Pep and Bemba, the higher you get Porto pressing up the pitch means there's more space in behind. So yeah, I I'm not I'm gonna keep my prediction. In fact, I'll write my prediction down 
and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll I'll share it after the game and I'll see how close it was. But okay, uh, we'll okay. see. <laughs> you know what? Um, I can't force a number out of you, Aaron. Anything I could do, you know, say that I don't know, Francisco Contessa is the best young player in the world. I don't know anything like that I can do for you. Come on, just a number, Aaron. Come on. No, I won't do it because I won't forgive myself. Because <laughs> if I come out and say a number, no. then Chelsea. Chelsea and Porto on the break like five times and end up winning the game 5 0. I go, damn. So, um, no, no, you're not getting one. You're not getting oh, one. no. Underneath, underneath prediction, you'll just have to put uh, NA, not available, not a player. Okay, I'll put 2 0 Chelsea. <laughs> you're not putting 2 0 Chelsea. I don't think it'll be 2 0 Chelsea. No, to be honest, the closest thing you'll get, I think both teams will score. And. Um, okay. that's, that's, a, that's as much yeah. that's as that's as much as you're gonna get for. I do think Chelsea will score. I think it's very important that Porto score first in terms of mentally because I feel like if Porto can get into a one or a two nil lead, if they concede to Chelsea, it's not as much of a big blow. Chelsea go and score within the first five minutes, the tie's done, it's finished. Mad. So yeah. they've, they've yeah they've got to they've got to score first. I hope that they score first. My my hopeful prediction would be hopeful prediction would just be don't be stupid and try and win the game four or five nil you don't need to if you can get to a two nil put every man behind the ball defend don't make any mistakes take it to yeah. extra time you can take it to pe- take it to penalties it's it's potluck take it to penalties then it's it's not about who the better team is it's not about who played the best penalties is chance so that's yeah. it at the end of the day so yeah I hope I hope they can sort of uh, you know I'd love it if they could do it in normal time but I think scoring three goals against Chelsea and not conceding I don't think it'll happen <laughs> it's going to be hard hopefully we don't have another West Brom situation I think we've kind of gone past that now amazing result against Porto and obviously Crystal Palace I don't know if you saw the the first half against Crystal Palace Aaron how good were Chelsea in that first half Havertz if Havertz can kind of emulate his form from from Saturday into Tuesday then I'm sorry, and Bemba and, and uh, Pepe are going to have no, as you like to say, Pep will have no kind of answer to that. But yeah, that's really interesting, Aaron. I just want to quickly do an outro with you. Uh, we're going to kind of let you go now a little bit about, uh, obviously, you're the you're the owner of the Twitter page and the, and the football writing community of uh, Proximo Janada, a Portuguese football specialising kind of uh, football company. So would you like to kind of talk a little bit about that before you kind of head out, a little bit about yourself, anything you'd like to say, it's your time now. Yeah, so yeah, Prosimisionada basically is um, is a website that I created pretty much three years, I think, to the day today or tomorrow. I think I saw something Happy in anniversary, the like an, an anniversary. Yeah, so um, yeah, it, it, I started it up as just a Twitter page, and then ended up. You know, Portuguese football has always been something that I've, I've been into. And as I say, that's, that's another conversation. It's a very long conversation into, into the hows and ways. But uh, yeah, so started writing on that. And then as as sort of the years passed, um, started meeting footballers and interviewing them. And then I've become uh, an accredited journalist. So that was like another sort of big step. And then just producing content for the for Portuguese football it doesn't have to be in Portugal, but Portuguese players playing abroad, the national team. Uh, we started to move into women's football recently as well. So, you know, hoping to do more content on that. And um, we've got more, more people coming in in talented, like young writers and stuff. I also do a podcast, the Portuguese football show, uh, which is on a little bit of a hiatus at the minute. We haven't done it an for two weeks, but that is... Um, Myself and, and my friend Philippe, who uh, we just talk about, say Portuguese abroad, the, um, the the domestically in Europe, those kind of things, and sort of just giving you your your news source for Portuguese football and English because there's so many brilliant ones for the likes of Spanish football, Italian football, German football, and all these English sort of language based. But for for Portugal, I mean the community's growing now. But when I you know, when I grew up watching Portuguese football, I'm, I'm 25 now. So when I was, you know, when I was 11, 12, 13, I, that's what I was constantly trying to find online, trying to find things to read about Portuguese football. And it was all in Portuguese. And then as I got older, I found, you know, there's brilliant, some brilliant websites out there. But uh, yeah, we like to think we offer something a little bit different. So yeah, if you want to follow us, it's Prosima Jornada one on Twitter. Website's nice and easy, just prosima-jornada.com. And then the podcast is is everywhere, to be honest. You can just type in Prosima Jornada. You'll see the interview with Ryan Gold is on Apple Music and Spotify. And then there's lots of written articles. I interviewed 
Ricardo Pereira from Leicester City, Nuno Gomes used to play for Benfica, Crony Lopes. Uh, there's there's loads of them to be honest. I can't think, but yeah, there's loads of content out there. You've got no excuse. Go and find it. Go and follow it. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll leave everything in the Spotify, Apple description, every, everything like that. On my Twitter as well. I'll leave all of those details. But yeah, Aaron, I think you need to head out now. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and hope you have a good day. Cheers, mate. Nice one, boys. Good luck for the uh, good luck for the game, and and as I say, we'll uh, we'll speak after it. No problem. Yeah. See you. Cheers, bye. Okay, yeah, let's get straight on to the Bayern Munich section of the podcast. Let's start talking about Arvin. You've had a few days to kind of digest that game. We kind of did the, you know, the review of the Champions League games on, on the Wednesday. You know, very, very soon, you were still kind of bit after that game. You know, how do you think the first leg went uh, for Bayern Munich? Are you still kind of uh, thinking the same thing? You know, there was a complete lack of clinicality in the final third. Or you kind of think, you know, I'm really hoping for the second leg. Uh, just to say, I know, I know now how people, how edgy people feel about comebacks and stuff like that. Just hearing that, I mean, wow. Um, you know, but obviously there's uh, many comparisons between Porto and Bayern. Obviously, both of them need to come back. Both of them could potentially win by two goals to nil or three goals to one. But um, no, first leg. Um, yeah, I've sort of digested it to be honest. Um, oh, it's a bit of a weird one. I mean. Obviously, you think about Bayern, we know, I know that we dominate the game, you know, the players that we have, the way that we play, you know, high press, high energy, high line team, you know, we dominate, you know, PSG, I sort of expect them to play on the counter, but not in the way that I thought they would. Obviously, you know, three minutes in, one nil down, the worst start possible. Um, Mbappe, you know, the amount of space that he was given was just ridiculous, to be honest. And, you know, when that full-time whistle went, I cannot believe that we came out of that with a 3-2 loss. You know, I was at least hoping for maybe a draw at best, you know, especially with the players that we have out right now. <laughs> you know, a rising injury list, I think we have had about about seven injuries in the last month or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not a great time for us. Yeah, so, um, I mean, again, 31 shots. I mean, it says it all for itself, to be honest. I mean, I counted about eight sitters that game. I mean, oh dear, obviously, you know, when you got someone like Chupa Moti in front line, you know, he did score, but he, again, like I mentioned before, he doesn't offer the same presence that Lewandowski does in certain areas where Lewandowski would start an attack, Chupa Moting would potentially flop at or something like that. So, you know, especially, you know, Bappe, given given the time and space that he had for both of the goals are just, in my opinion, disgusting. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we can talk about Alfonso Davies and his pace, you know, coming into the game. Obviously, I expect him to start because, you know, when we play a high line, you'd, you'd expect your fastest defender to start. But, you know, Lucas Hernandez, he played okay, but... It just doesn't offer the same pace that Davies has, especially with that first goal. Looking back here now, I've had time to reflect on it. I've watched the game over several times. I know that if Davies would have been there, he would have potentially blocked, you know, the spaces that Lucas Hernandez had left or Alaba, you know, he was pu pushing forward constantly as a centre-back, which is ridiculous to hear because your centre-back are expected to stay back. But, you know, when, when Alaba did move into the midfield and Lucas was pulled back into centre-back and then Davies played on the left, you know, it looked much better. Yeah, definitely. It's been a very, very strange few days to buy Munich. I'm sure Chupa Moting is, I'd say, miles different to Lewandowski. Mostly people say Lewandowski is a goal scorer, but he actually provides a lot on the build-up play for Bayern. You know, linking up play with his quick passing, his late runs into the box, really helps Bayern as a whole. But let's kind of move on to the predicted lineups now, Arvind. You've mentioned there's a lot of injuries for Leon Goretzka, who is a huge doubt. I believe that Marquinhos is out for PSG as well. Um, we'll kind of go on to that mm -hmm. in a little bit. Uh, a little bit of team news, but in terms of the lineup, what, is, what what do you think Hansi Flick's going to go for? Union Berlin was a lot of rest. Uh, Musiala started and scored a huge goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what what do you think the lineup's going to be, Arvin? Um, I'm over fifty fifty to be honest with. You. Uh, I'll get into one player first. I think you know your ex boy Jamal Musiala, obviously Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea Academy. Yeah, well, they're buying now, but you know you'd like to say that he's one of your own. But um, no, he's a terrific player, you know, and given that Leroy Sane was, you know, he was getting to good moments, but he didn't exactly have that cutting edge, you know, would I think Jamal Musiala could start? Maybe. I don't know what Hansi Flick's going to go for. Me personally, I'd like to see, you know, a tactical masterclass, but given the way that we've always played the last, you know, 
the last 10 years, I've seen that we don't really change much and we always believe in the, the system that we play, which is dominating football, you know, leaving a lot of space at the back. You know, we've always had defensive problems here at Bayern. I've never seen, you know, a Bayern team that really has been defensively solid the entire season. So, um, yeah, uh, predicted lineups, obviously, goal, he, uh, goalkeeper, you know, you know who that is. He made a mistake for the first goal, but I think this game, you know, especially without the snow, hopefully no snow, that he can keep out a few more um, goals. Obviously, Manuel Neuer. Left back has to be Davies. He has to start. You know, that's, that's just a no-brainer, to be honest. You know, his pace is so well utilised on that left-hand side. Especially, you know, I like to see a race up between him and Mbappe to see how fast they both are and who's faster. So, um, yeah, Davies on the left. Lucas Hernandez, Boateng in the middle, obviously. Boateng was left a bit exposed for that third goal where Mbappe just ran through and scored. I mean, the... Terrific goal, terrific player. But um, yeah, that's that's the um, centre-backs I expect to see. Benjamin Pavard starting on the right. You know, he was he was actually pretty decent. Um, a right-back, obviously. You know, he, he has, he's has he been a bit subpar the first half of the season. So uh, yeah, that's the back line for me. Midfield, you know, Kimmich, no-brainer. You know, in my opinion, the best CDM in the world has to be. And then on the... This is a bit of an odd one, to be honest, because we've we've seen Alaba start for midfield in Australia, but, you know, I've never really thought of him as a midfielder. But when he was playing in that midfield role as an eight, you know, against PSG, he did actually play, you know, somewhat decent, you know, compared to what he was at the back, you know, obviously. He would have the protection of Davies at the, of the left, you know, even if Davies bombards forward, he can come back within, you know, within seconds, you know, something that Lucas Hernandez did not offer. So I think uh, Davies, you know, he will be crucial. Going into the front line, obviously, Muller, Cam, no-brainer again. You know, he's a big game player. He scored, you know, he was one of our top players in the PSG game. You know, chance creation was impeccable. On the right, obviously, I like to say Musiala would start. Well, it has to be Leroy Sane. You know, he's experienced, you know, not necessarily, you know, not the best, you know, since he's joined the Bayern, you know, he's had a few moments here and there where he's been, you know, in a form and out form. But I really need to see the Leroy Sane of 17, 18 that we all that we all know and, you know, reflect back to when we think of Leroy Sane, obviously, with his quality pace, obviously, you know, he had that ACL injury, which kept him out for, you know, some around a year, which is obviously it can impact a player in the most negative ways ever. I mean, we saw him, Nicolas Sula, you know, he was really pacey. And then this season, he's lost quite a bit of his pace. On the left, obviously, Kingsley Coman, you know, scored the win in the Champions League final against his former club. You know, I'm expecting a lot more from him, even though he wasn't as bad, you know, it was the same with Leroy Sane. But when it got to the final moment, you know, he just didn't have that kind of edge. And obviously up front, you know, Chupa Moting, it has to be, you know, we need a goal scorer in that team, you know, whether being without Lewandowski. So, yeah. That's my predicted lineup. I I have a few interesting points that I'd kind of explore from what you just said. First of all, I'd say put Davis right back. Maybe that could that could be an interesting take to have with Mbappe's pace to kind of deal with that. I say that's that's a really thing that Flick he probably won't do, but he should look at Luke Hernandez mm. could potentially deal with Di Maria quite well, I believe. With so that's kind of what the second thing I'd say is I've always explored playing Thomas Muller up front. And Musiala in behind, he's proved on the biggest stage. He scored against Atletico, if I'm not mistaken, Arvin. You all back yeah. me up. Scored a beautiful goal against Union Berlin at the weekend. Amazing drill pass, four players for that goal. But yeah, put Musiala, Cam Muller. He's probably a better goal scorer than Trevor Moting. He's a great <laughs> finisher, Thomas Muller. What? I don't understand why Bayern fans such as yourself and Flick think Trevor Moting outside. Just because he scored two goals last season for PSG against Leipzig or Atletico, someone like that. But that's kind of what I'd say. The wingers, I'd say, Sane and Coman, whoever's starting over Gnabry, who still has COVID, that's what I'd say. But I think the Davis point and the Muller point are probably the most interesting. The centre-back situation that Bayern is, is quite... Alaba, I didn't know Alaba played for Australia, Arvin. That's kind of what you said earlier. Oh, but, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say Austria. My bad. Yeah, that's what I was kind of saying. But, um, yeah, Alaba's probably going to start DM, as he did against PSG, I believe. But, yeah, that's really interesting. The lineup. we'll see what Flick goes for. I don't think he'll go with quite a similar side. Um, I know he had a lot of rotation against Union, but it did cost him in the end. But yeah, 
So again, you know, as I said, especially the I think the one key thing for PSG is that Marquinhos is out now. When Marquinhos was subbed off against um, uh, for, for PSG, you know, against us, you know, they started to look a bit vulnerable, especially you know balls into a box. We saw that Benjamin Pavard crossed it in and Chupo Moting scored a header. We saw that Joshua Kimmich crossed it in from a set piece and then Thomas Muller scored a header. So especially aerial threats um, without Marquinhos would definitely be. Um, a threat that we can exploit. So I think that's uh, that's one of the main things, you know, Marquinhos, you know, we've seen him uh, last season, especially he scored in the quarterfinal, you know, that equaliser against Atlanta, that crucial one, and then also in the semi-final against Leipzig. So, you know, he's, he's been one of PSG's standout performers and obviously, you know, but to compensate for that loss, you know, PSG have Verratti coming back. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think people quite grasp, you know, how how important Leandro Paredes has been for PSG this season. You know, yeah, especially we saw in the Barcelona game, the amount of the amount of overtop balls, you know, he put in towards the likes of Mbappe and especially in that first leg, you know, it would have been perfect, you know, for the for the first leg against Bayern as well, you know, to break that press from Bayern and, you know, the way they play, you know, it's just excellent. You know, he's a very underrated player. Indeed, it's gonna be interesting. But let's kind of get a prediction from you, Arvin. Oh my god. Now, obviously, um, I'm expecting to concede. That's that's one thing that I can expect, and I'm expect us to score. So, I mean, the game, <laughs> the game could be anything. To be honest, I mean, I certainly didn't expect the first thing to go how it did. Obviously, you know, the amount of chances we had. I feel like there's no problem with chance creations. I feel like we will have the we will we'll be on the front foot against PSG. That's no doubt. You know, that's that's how I expect the game to go. You know, absolute domination from Bayern. It's just that, you know, can they keep Mbappe and Neymar? And I know that in the first leg, a lot of pundits, you know, especially watching ESPN, they said that um, we didn't show Mbappe and Neymar enough respect. And I totally agree. You know, the amount of space that we allowed them is just criminal, criminal, you know, in comparison to the Champions League final where they were shunned out, you know, really well. But obviously, we don't have the same team from them. We don't have the same personnel like Lewandowski. Obviously, people would say, you know, if Lewandowski was there in the first leg, he would have had an absolute field day. I agree. But, you know, football's like that. You know, sometimes you lose your key pair to injury and stuff like that. So you just got to work your way around it. And, you know, if we can if we can get past this hurdle and we win, do win, like, I don't know, 2-0, 3-1, which I think is highly unlikely. But, you know, there's still a possibility, you know, it's a it's an absolute mentality, you know, booster for Bayern, especially to know that you can win without Lewandowski. And I think that's that's somewhat, you know, the players need to break past, you know, being able to, you know, to not be so reliant as it happened on Lewandowski. I know that I saw a stat, you know, in the Bundesliga, he's provided 44% of our goals in the Bundesliga and he scored 35. So, you know, it, that just shows. But regardless of that, it's... A prediction. I mean, again, like Aaron said before, I don't really want to give my prediction because obviously if it backfires and I know I'm screwed. But, um, you know, I have faith in this bind. I, have all, I always have faith. And I've got to say, you know, I do think we'll concede, but I do think there's no problem with us creating chances. And I think we will be more clinical. I do think Leroy Sane will step up, hopefully. I do think Davies on the left will be crucial. So I'm going for a 3-1. And I'm sort of relaying this back to the Manchester United situation when they had loads of injuries as well and they brought in all their youngsters and they got that miraculous win. You know, you know, Oli's done it again. You know, that's sort of the that's sort of the vibe that I'm going for. So yeah, when Lukaku scored the few goals, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that's good. That's going to be true promoting 100. And then Ooh. Thomas Muller scores the winning penalty. Amazing. Jamal Musiala potentially scoring a hat trick. You know, you never know. We'll have Chelsea to thank for that. Yeah, thank you. I'll expect a thank you letter and you know a big hug for that for Musiala's great performances. But yeah, that's very interesting. You said that three one. That's a very realistic prediction, I feel like. It's not too outlandish. I was expecting to say like four nil or something, considering how many shots you had in that game. But I'll say my prediction now. I'll go three one as well, Bayern. I do think Bayern will get through. I've always wow. said that. PSG are very, very weak defensively. Pochettino's not, you know, the elite mentality kind of monster that you need. I don't know why everyone uses this phrase these days. I really need to stop saying the mentality monster thing. I'm not Jurgen Klopp. But yeah, it's really interesting. So I'm going to kind of wrap up this podcast now. Um, thank you for listening to the Perfect Attitude podcast. Hope you've enjoyed. We've had a section with Aaron from Proxima Janada and obviously Arvin, my co host, best friend, and Bayern expert. Uh, but yeah, hope you have a nice day and I'll catch you soon. Bye.